so um, so on your study guide, the, the very first blank would be the Old Commandment. Because that's what we're going to look at. The Old Commandment. So in 1 John 2, verse 7, we read, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. You know, there's a uh, Bible study principle that says all of the Bible is written for you, but not all of the Bible is written to you. And there's a lot of commandments in the Bible. Um, you know, there are some commandments that are dietary commandments. You can eat this and you can't eat that. Uh, there's some commandments that are commandments about what you can wear. You shouldn't mix this with that. Uh, these are also found in the Bible. But these are written for the uh, children of Israel. These were written uh, for the chosen people of God to be um, separate from the Gentiles that surrounded them. Uh, they were to be a peculiar people set apart unto God. And admittedly, there are still some denominations that uh, observe these commandments of diet and observe these commandments of, of clothing. And quite frankly, it doesn't make anyone more holy than another. It doesn't bring someone closer to God uh, than another. But there is a commandment that is both universal and timeless and a commandment that indeed would bring you closer to God. And that's the commandment we're going to look at here. So he says here in 1 John 2, 7, he says, um, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment. And the word old there in this verse uh, speaks of a commandment that was given a long time ago. And it's still very much in force today. Alright, so it was a commandment that was given a long time ago, but is still in, uh, very much in force, uh, today. It is a commandment we, we still must observe. Uh, I recall as a, as a young, uh, boy, uh, we used to spend some time with my aunt and uncle on their farm in Kansas. And, uh, being a young boy, uh, well into the, you know, into grade school, um, I really didn't realize at the time, I guess we would call those uh, pri- uh, primitive conditions that my aunt and uncle lived in. Uh, they still had an outhouse we had to go to, and and uh, we had to get water from the pump in the yard. And whenever we took a bath, it was in a big wash tub in the middle of the kitchen floor. She had to heat the water and, and pour the water in the, in the wash tub. And... Um, I think they just had recently gotten electricity. Had just recently gotten electricity. Uh, but for me, it was a great adventure. You know, I did. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, one day I went out to the pump to get some water. And um, in a pail, and no matter how much I worked the handle on that pump, I couldn't get any water to come out of it. So I ran in and, and told my aunt that I couldn't get the pump to work. And she said, well, uh, hang on, it just needs to be primed. I was a kid. I didn't know what that meant. So she took me out there to where the pump was. She popped the top off the pump. And then she poured some water down into the top, put the top back on, and got the pump in that handle. And before long, water started gushing out of that pump like it always had. And I was just absolutely amazed. I thought she, I thought she had magic. I thought she was, (laughs) I thought that, you know, it was pretty amazing. But you know what? Some of God's people, and myself included, especially when it comes 
to this particular commandment. Um, at times we need the water of God's word uh, poured into us so that uh, the word of life might be able to pour out from us unto others. Uh, some of God's people, and I don't mean to be mean-spirited, and I'm not judging anybody in this room or anything like that, but sometimes some of God's people can kind of get all dried up like that pump. Um, they know a lot, and, and they do a lot, and they're involved in a lot, uh, but like that pump in my aunt and uncle's yard, they, they need to be primed. <laughs> they need to have a little bit of God's water poured into them so they, they can start loving a lot. Start loving a lot. And John is writing to his readers about something, and he says here that they already know about. Alright? Knowledge about something that is essential in each and every one of our walks with God. If we desire to walk in the light that God is in the light, then this old commandment is a big one. It's a big one. He said he had previously primed the pump in 1 John 2.5. He says in 1 John 2.5, But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. And hereby know we that we are in him. Of course, that word perfected doesn't mean uh, sinless perfection. It means maturity. It means you grow up, become an adult in your walk with God. Uh, Like fruit on a tree, you know. We used to have apple trees in our backyard, and I always enjoyed watching those apples start off as blossoms, and then eventually they would swell out and they'd they'd turn red. And you, you knew by the time that those apples turned red that they were what? They were ready for harvest. They were ready for picking to eat. When we lived in um, Greece, uh, the house that my folks rented, uh, we were we had a small uh, uh, olive grove in the front yard and the backyard, and uh, uh, with much anticipation, I watched those little olive berries start to 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 grow from a small bud to a big big black berry. And I was really excited when those things started turning black. So one day I ran out there and I grabbed a handful of those olives right off the tree. And I started popping those puppies into my mouth and started chewing them out, chewing them up. And as soon as I started chewing them, I spit them out. Because they were so bitter. I mean, they were so bitter, it just caused your mouth to shrink. <laughs> like, it was just terrible. It was the worst thing I ever tasted. But yet that's the way um, some of God's people can be. Um, they know a lot about the Bible. They, they look good on the outside, right? They look pretty good on the outside. But because they haven't ripened in God's love, um, they can be pretty sour people. Uh, some of the most sour people I've ever met in my life are people who know a lot, of, a lot about the Bible. Um, raw olives straight from the tree. They contain a chemical called uh, alluropin. Alluropin, I think is how it's pronounced. And it's a potent mixture of, of molecules that makes that, that olive berry extremely bitter. I mean, if you've never tasted a, a I don't know what you could compare to it. They used to have a candy out there uh, called uh, some sort of sour candy. It was worse than that. It was worse than that. But the reason why this bitterness is in, is in the olive is because it keeps the bugs away. Keeps the insects away, keeps the birds from... Well, there's some folks that are so bitter and so sour, 
it keeps people away from them. It keeps people away from them. Uh, the olives that I had grabbed a hold of thinking that I, I could eat them, they had to be processed. They had to go through a, a process uh, to make them edible. And you know what? Um, that's what our Father does. He puts us through a process uh, because He wants us to mature. He wants us to ripen and mature in His love. So so that we can be palatable not only to him but to others you know Uh, it's more than just what you know it's more than just what you know a lot of people know a lot of stuff and they're really good about what they know but you know uh, there's that missing element of love that's so crucial that's so crucial uh, first, uh, Philippians 1-6, one of my favorite verses because, and the reason why this is one of my favorite verses is because this means there's even hope for somebody like me. But it says in Philippians 1-6, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So, you know, people may give up on me and I don't blame them, but I know God never will. And the same for you. God will never give up on you. I don't care how much you mess up. God will never give up on you. In 2 Corinthians 12, uh, 9 through 10, it says, this is Paul speaking. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's, of course, that incident where Paul prayed three times for the thorn to be removed. And God didn't take it away from him. Because Why? Because he was going through that process. God was working a work of grace in Paul's life. And that's why that thorn was there. God was working a work of grace in God's life. And unfortunately, some of God's people resist God's good work in their life. Uh, instead of um, allow, uh, instead of allowing God's grace to work in their life, they resist it, and they miss out on a very, very vital element of their perfection, of their maturing. You know, sometimes we look at um, trials and tribulations and things that we consider setbacks. You know, we we get all worked up over them. It could be that God allowed that in your life because maybe there's something in your life that God's trying to get you get your attention about that we need that needs to be addressed um, again there are some folks you know they do a lot and they know a lot but they love very little and they love very little first John 2 5 says but whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected hereby know we that we are in him you know proof of Christ in us is to love as Christ loved us Proof of Christ in us is to love as Christ loved us. You know, there's a Proverbs, Proverbs 14.10 that says, The heart knoweth his own bitterness, and a stranger doth not intermeddle with his joy. Now, I've experienced bitterness in my own life. And I bet I'm not the only one. I bet there are several in here that probably could testify experience bitter, bitterness in your own life maybe somebody has hurt your feelings uh, maybe somebody has slandered you maybe somebody has you know done something to you 
that has uh, resulted in this bitterness and you find yourself refusing to forgive them. Uh, you find yourself refusing to let God um, heal your wounded spirit. I'm telling you, if you don't forgive, there'll be no healing. There'll be no healing. As long as you hang on to that hurt, uh, there will be no healing take place in your life. As long as there's that unlovingness on your part. See, see, I'm only accountable for myself. I can't change somebody else. I can't go to that person that's offended me or whatever they've done. I, I, can't, I have no power to change them. The only power that I have is to be able to forgive them. And then when I do that, God's able to work on me. God's able to work with me. But if you're not willing to forgive, if you're willing to stay there and, 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 and remain in your hurt and your, well, you're going to have that spiritual all your pin. That bitterness. And let me tell you something. That's not a good place to be. That's not a good place to be. It'll work in your heart and that'll spill over into others. Spill over into others. So on your study guide, uh, this is your blank. The most obvious, is your word, obvious way to know that one is walking in the light, who is in fellowship with the Father and is walking as Jesus walked, is in how we... In my notes, I've got manifest love to others. It's how we speak to them. It's how we treat them. You know, if we go around snubbing people, what are they going to do in return? Yeah. If we go around speaking bad about people, how do you think that's going to come back? Yeah. You know, in his second letter, John wrote in Second uh, John verse 5, And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which ye had from the beginning, that we love one another. That we love one another. Again, in First John 3.11, he says, For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that, ye sh- that we should love one another. Now, is that easy? <laughs> no, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not, but... We do have the ability to do so. And why is that? Because we have the Spirit of Christ within us. Yeah, we have the Spirit of Christ within us. So it, so I'm going to go this far and say, if you are unable to love someone, that's your choice. That's on you. That's on you. So on your study guide, if we desire to grow in the image of Jesus Christ... To emulate, is the word, emulate, E-M-U-L-A-T-E, the character of the Lord, not imitate, but emulate, then the means to this growth is by loving our brethren. And who's to say that if you come across a very difficult person, that that's not the process that God is using to develop love in your heart? Because he'll do that. He'll do that. Um, I went to a seminar, a seminar years and years and years ago. And uh, the fellow who was teaching the seminar said, those are sandpaper people. <laughs> God uses sandpaper people in your life to smooth off the rough edges in your own life. So that's maybe what this person is. He might be that sandpaper person that God knows you need. And to teach you on how to love. You know, 33 times, I think I've mentioned this already, that 33 times the word love is used in this epistle. So obviously that's a word that we can't 
readily ignore. And do you remember what I said with the second most uh, used word in 1 John was? Anybody want to take a stab at that? No. You don't want to take a stab at it? Oh, K-N-O-W. You're right. No. Absolutely right. No. Love and no are the two most common used words in the first epistle of John. And John uses love and no together three times. In 1 John 2, 5, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected, hereby know we that we are in him. 1 John 3, 14, We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. And we'll talk about that when we get there. And then 1 John 5, 2, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. So that's very important. We need to know. And we need to love. We need to love. So I think John is trying to tell us something here. Isn't he? He says here in verse John 2, 7, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you. No new commandment. Uh, John wrote to these believers about something that they have heard about. John had wrote to these believers and us, you know, something that they've been instructed about, taught about, possibly even seen as an example or practiced by John and others who preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. So on your study guide... Of all, of all of the teachings is your blank of the faith. Of all of the teachings of the faith, it is this one thing, the old commandment, they have been taught with utmost certainty. First John 2.21 says, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it and that no lies of the truth. I'm telling you folks, if you're going to teach the truth from God's word, I don't care where it is you're going to teach it, whether it's at a uh, at a um, care facility or or down down at the mission place or even here in a in a ABF. If you don't preach the truth along with love, you're not preaching the truth. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. So this this truth about love, this is something they know about. But you know as well as I do, simply knowing something intellectually is not enough, is it? If you don't put into action what you know, what good is that that you know? Does you no good? It makes you a no good. No, that's not what I'm saying. You have to put what you know into action. You have to. You have to. So on your study, on your study guide, it says here, Paul has been referred to as the apostle of faith. I don't know if you guys have heard that. You might have heard that at times. Yeah, apostle Paul has been referred to as, a, as the apostle of faith. In fact, the greatest treaty you ever want to read on faith and righteousness would be his epistle to the Romans. That's a masterpiece in regards to faith and righteousness. And then uh, Peter is called the apostle of hope. Is your blank hope? First uh, and Second Peter uh, are epistles written to believers who are uh, being persecuted, who are undergoing great trial and pressure for their faith. And Peter wrote those epistles to give them hope. To give them hope. 
John is known as the apostle of what? Love. The apostle of love is your blank. In the Gospel of John, just in, just in chapters 13 through 17, uh, Jesus speaks about love 17 times. 17 times. And of course, 13 through 17 in the, in the Gospel of John, those are the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples before his betrayal in the garden. And it's interesting to me, and when I went through that, read through verses 13 through 17 in the Gospel of John, Jesus speaks more on the topic of love than he does on faith and hope combined. So I'm thinking Jesus is trying to stress something with his men, isn't he? He's trying to stress something with his men. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Charity. You know, often in Paul's epistles, you'll find this, I call it, trinity of Christian virtues. You'll find this often in Paul's epistles. He'll list faith, hope, and charity. Faith, hope, and charity. One old-time preacher said that love is the root and charity shown to others is the fruit. Love is the root and charity shown to others is the fruit. You know, that's, that is the primary message of true, and I'm going to say this with emphasis, of true biblical Christianity. That is the message. Uh, that is, in spite of what the critics and the enemies say to slander the church, calling the church intolerant and hateful, that's not true biblical Christianity. In spite of what some of these false teachers and, and, and religious profiteers want to preach, the, you know, preach, that's not that's not true Christianity. The primary message of, of Christianity, of true biblical Christianity, is about what? God's love for a fallen man. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's the true message of biblical Christianity. Not how you can become wealthy or healthy or get that next flashy car. It's not what it's all about. Jesus said in John 13:34, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. And listen to what he says here. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. Wow. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. Can anybody in here raise their hand and say, I measure up to that? But that is the measure. That is the measure. Verse 35, he continues, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have loved one to another. Now, gratefully, I have heard from folks who come into our church, gratefully, I've heard from some folks that that was one of the things that impressed them about our church, is that we do have this love one for another. Yeah, yeah, every family, we've got our problem children. Every family, we fuss and we fight. But I have to admit, we do have a love for each other. I've seen it. I've experienced it. So I'm always pleased when I hear somebody say that. Another thing about our church, what are we really big on in this church? I'll give you a hint. It starts with the letter D. Discipleship. 
we're really big in discipleship in our church. It's what it's what we're all about. We hear that from Pastor Brian all the time. I mean, we've got discipleship one. We've got discipleship two. We have um, Heartland Baptist, Heartland Baptist, Heartland Bible Institute. There's lots of things. We've got, um, Brian is always telling the leadership, disciple your next person that's going to take your place. Be sure always disciple your next person that's going to take your place. So it's being pushed all the time. Being pushed all the time. Pushed. That may not be the right word. Emphasize. Thank you very much. It's emphasized all the time, and rightly so. And um, it's interesting that this topic of love is addressed in every one of the epistles that Paul wrote, beginning with Romans all the way to the epistle of Jude. It's even mentioned in the epistle of Jude. So all through the epistles written to the churches, we have this topic of love. So on your study guide... It is the one commandment possibly preached upon the most. Preached is your word. It is the one commandment possibly preached upon the most and the one commandment possibly violated the most by God's people. Preached the most and violated the most. Now I'm not... Don't go running to Brian with what I'm about to say. I'm not being critical. But we give out a lot of information in this church. We do. We give off a lot. We give out a lot of information. I believe we teach sound doctrine. We teach sound doctrine. Uh, We preach about ministry. We exhort our folks to service. I mean, this is a church that's full of activity. I mean, you look at our church calendar and it's, it's, it's a wonder that anybody spends any time at home. There's so much going on. So much going on. So for me, it's, to me, you don't really have an excuse. Well, there's just nothing for me to do. I'm telling you, if you go to Brian, you know, with something that you want to do, he's going to let you do it within reason. Within reason. So, you know, you're really without excuse. But if the propagating of all this information and teaching and doctrine and ministry and service and activity fails in this one point regarding charity, then what Paul says in 1 Corinthians verses 13, uh, chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, then it's all for naught. It's all vain. It's all empty. It's all empty. I don't care how talented of a Bible teacher or preacher you are, I don't care how beautiful your voice is, I don't care how well you take care of the kids, I don't care how much you you feed food. If there's no charity, if there's no love, according to Paul, it's all vanity. Why is that? Why is that? What does God look at? When God looks at us, what does he really look at? Does he look at the way we're dressed? No, he looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. That's what he's really interested in. That's what he's really interested in. Indeed, a very old commandment. So on your study guide, this old commandment that John refers to dates all the way back to when God spoke to Moses. Is your blank face-to-face. Now, I think it goes back further than that, but I mean written in the Scriptures. 
in the wilderness as Moses led the children of Israel to the promised land. Leviticus 19.18 as an example. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. The other blank here is this commandment was sanctioned by the name of the Lord Jehovah, the I am that I am. That's pretty serious stuff when, 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 when you read something and he finishes with, you know, uh, I am the Lord. What is that telling you? Hey, I'm the boss. You're not the boss. You better listen to what I'm saying here. That's what he's saying. Leviticus 19.34 goes on. He says, But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you. And thou shalt love him as thyself, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. And again he says, I am the Lord your God. He's not messing around. It's on your study guide. Here in these two verses we see vengeance is your blank and holding grudges as being in violation of this commandment. Anybody in here holding grudges? (laughs) Anybody in here planning vengeance? Stop it! It's against God's commandment. As well as the treatment of strangers, that is, Gentiles is your blank, being addressed. That they were to be loved as one would love a brother or oneself, again sanctioned by the Lord's name. Now that's something that Israel kind of failed in doing. They failed to view the Gentile people as such, and that's why they didn't really reach out to the Gentile people as as they were told to do. Do I have Deuteronomy 6 on your... Okay, good. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Now look at verse... uh, We get that. Now look at verse 6. And these words... What words? The words he just said. Which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. You know what I'm fearful of? I'm fearful in some homes. There's a lot of, there's a lot of the Bible taught, 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 taught. Without love. Without love. It says here that these kids need to be raised. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. A lot of kids are taught without the motive for what they're being taught. On your study guide, here we see that not only are the children to be taught that there is only one God, the Lord Jehovah, but also how to love the Lord with all the heart, soul, and might, and this is done by being obedient to His commandments. I mean, think of it. What if you had a child that gave you flowers and candy all the time and said, oh, I love you, Mom and Dad, I love you, Mom and Dad, I love you, Mom, but yet they were rebellious. And they never did what you asked them. And they went contrary to your advice and your counsel. Is that love? That's a sham, isn't it? It's a sham. First John 2, 5 says, But whoso keepeth his word, 
In him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Sometimes we treat God the same way. Oh God, I love you. Oh God, I'm so appreciative. Oh God, you're the greatest thing in the world. But yet, by our life, those words are a sham. Those words are a sham. You know, perhaps what what may be missing is that along with teachers of sound doctrine, we also need teachers on how to love in accordance to sound doctrine. I mean, I've had a lot of good teachers in my life. But very, very few of them teach how to love with that sound doctrine. Very few. Very few. So on your study guide, uh, when, man, uh, when Jesus sat on the mount and taught his disciples along with the multitudes, is your blank sitting on the ground or standing nearby? All of them listen to Jesus teach about this very thing. Do I have Matthew 5? Good. Sometimes I don't know what I put on my study guide or not, as as, as a parent from the past. So Matthew 5, 43, You have heard that it's been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. I've actually heard that from some folks. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Has anybody in here been found yourself in that situation? Yeah, that's tough, isn't it? That is, that's tough. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Yeah. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, why do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Verse 48. Be ye therefore, hmm, perfect. Even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. There's that word perfect again. There's that word perfect again. Again, perfection is not one's diet. It's not what, you know, it's not the clothes you wear. It's not how well you recite Bible verses. But it's loving like the Father loved. It's loving like Christ loved. I remember a good friend of mine a long time ago told me, he says, Jeff, he says, if you learn anything, you learn about the grace of God. You learn about the love of God. And I have to say that I have not been a very good student of that. But that's good advice. That's good advice. Because let me tell you something. Loving the unloving will certainly grow you up. It just will. It'll grow you up. And this teaching by Jesus concerning love, when those men and women heard it, that was in sharp contrast to what they were experiencing from their leadership. From their religious leadership. This teaching about loving those, you know, that hate you and so forth, that was totally... That was a shocker to these folks. I mean, for us today, we hear that and we, you know, we nod our heads in agreement. 
But for those people back then, that was a that was a paradigm shift for many of these folks. And it still is today for many folks. It's uh, one of those uh, foreign concepts that never cross their minds. You know, this, this sanctioning of hating one's enemies, that's what they were preached from their uh, religious leaders. And, uh, you know, I get it, because the Jews didn't have a very good history with the Gentile leadership that was, that was over them. I mean, Rome, um, Luke chapter 13 tells us Pilate killed some Gal- Galileans. So, yeah, I get that. And there was always this long-standing prejudice of the Jewish elite towards the Gentiles. They, they viewed Gentile people as dogs, no better than dogs. So there was a prejudice on their part. And even these teachers, these religious leaders, they even held their own people in contempt. They even held their own people in contempt. In John 7:45 through 48, I think it is, or 49, then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him the officers answered never man spake like this man then answered them the Pharisees are ye also deceived have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him but this people you know who they're talking about their own people the very people they're supposed to be instructing and this people who knoweth not the law are cursed because they had this elite mentality I was a member of a particular denomination that I ran into a few folks like that just because they wore a certain garb, they thought they were, you know, up above everybody. That's not love. It's not love. If you want to be identified as a child of God, then guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to love as the Father loved. You have to love as Christ loved. That's not, that's not my words, folks. That's what it says. That's what it says. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Ah, uh, so that tells me what? He's no Exactly. Exactly. Now think about that. No respecter of persons. That's tough. That's tough. It should be what we strive for. That's for sure. And it always bothers me, and I've heard Bible teachers say this. And I just, uh. anyway, they claim that the God of the Old Testament was a severe God of judgment, while the God of the New Testament is a God of love and forgiveness. I don't know if you've ever heard of heard that. Yeah, I've heard wackadoodle teachers teach that. So what they're saying is that God's he's a bipolar God, right? He's a meanie in the Old Testament, and he's a nice guy in the New. No, he's, he's the same God throughout. He's the same God throughout. Psalms 103, verse 17 says, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Same God. Not bipolar. 
What they fail to see is a just and holy God who simply will not tolerate sin. But at the same time, he's a just and holy God that sent his son to die for the sinner. Ezekiel 18.23 says, Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? So, you know, this picture of God just standing up there with a big stick, just waiting to whack wicked people, that's not the God of the Bible. Second Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, praise God, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's not a vengeful, wrathful God. Even the loving, gentle Jesus pronounced judgment on the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Pronouncing, whoa, 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 (laughs) you guys, you're not getting it. Eight times he says, woe unto you. So on your study guide. As disciples of Jesus Christ, loving one's brother as well as one's enemies is the peculiarity of those who identify as disciples of Jesus Christ. Peculiarity. That's what makes us peculiar people. When you are loving as God loves, people are going to just scratch their heads over you. They just are. Again, John thirteen thirty four, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. That's that's the standard. That's the standard. So on your study guide. So what is true in the Old Testament concerning love is true in the New as well. What is true in the Old Testament concerning love is true in the New as well. But not all the Jews felt that way. Not all the Jews felt that way. I think I've got a title, some, but not all. Yes, no, maybe. Okay, I do on my notes then. So not all the Jews were prejudiced toward strangers. I, I, some, I believe some, there were some that were more enlightened than their brethren. Uh, is there a Mark 12 on your... Okay. Uh, Mark 12, 28 to 34, And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them, well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And I love this, verse 34. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. This guy got it. This guy got it. Jesus tells this man he's not far from the kingdom of God. He says, buddy, you are so close. Keep going. You're going in the right direction. You're so close. You're tracking in the right way. You're tracking in the right way. Keep going. 
keep going. And I'm telling you this, folks. It is, it is difficult to love the unloving. It is difficult to love uh, those who don't love in return. It is difficult. Paul talked about that in 2 Corinthians. He says, the more I love you, the less I'm loved. But keep tracking in that direction. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. 1 Corinthians 8, 1. 2, 3 says, now it's touching things offered unto idols. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. So I don't care how much Bible knowledge you cram in your little cranium. If there's no room for love, what good does all that knowledge do but to impress your friends? What good does that knowledge do? And so um, we have to ask ourselves, how am I personally tracking in the observance of this old commandment? How am I tracking in this? In some ways I might be doing okay, in some ways I know I'm not doing okay. But how am I tracking? How am I tracking? 1 John 1, 6 says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. 1 John 2, 9 says, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. So if you want to, I guess if you want one of those checks in your life on how well you're, you're doing with your fellowship with God, this would be a key check. And um, let me tell you something too, when if you purpose in your heart to to um, you know you're praying, you know, Lord help me to, to love as you want me to love and Lord help me to love you more and if you're praying along those lines, it's kinda like praying for patience. Yeah. When you're when you're praying for patience, what happens? Yeah, he'll send you some trials and tribulations in your life. Hey, you prayed for patience. Well, if you pray for love, guess what? He's going to put situations and circumstances in your life that's going to um, stretch your heart in regards to those issues of love. It just is. He'll he'll probably introduce to you a a sterling individual (laughs) that will uh, test... Test your love. That will test your love. And um, you can either take advantage of it or not. Um, Spiritual enlightenment, Bible knowledge, service in the church. Without genuine, sincere charity, it's it's vain. It's 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 boasting of the self-deceived. I don't mean to be hard, but. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I always put my foot in my mouth. There is too much phoniness in the church, folks. Yeah. And time is too short. And if uh, I believe the Lord's coming for his church here real soon. And quite honestly, I don't want to be caught flat-footed. I feel like, and I was thinking this morning, and I thought this for a while, I feel like a lot of the 
the little tag things or the stuff that we made a lot before in the past, there's really no room for that. I agree. I agree 100%. And so many, and, and, and going off on that thought, so many of us operate off of those little petty things that have happened in the past. And you know what? That makes you a prisoner of your past. That makes, a, makes you a prisoner of those things. We're set free. We have the liberty in Christ. We've, we're set free from those things. And don't let those things hinder you. Don't let those things hinder you. You know, there's a lot of uh, fine Christians in their head, but not so much in their heart. I don't want to be a heady Christian. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I don't want to be a heady Christian. I want to. I want to be. And I got a lot. I've got a lot of personal growth in my own life. I got a whole lot of room to, to grow in my own life. I'm not standing up here like I'm some sort of super saint. You know, I'm just taking what God's Word is showing me and I'm just sharing it with you because believe me, I've already been on, on my face on the floor before coming to you with this. I've already gone through the oh me, oh my <laughs> process. You know, Lord, I'm not worthy to even share this, that type of stuff. So, 1 John 3.18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in... Truth. Truth. Uh, the, God's looking for truth in the inward parts. And a big part of that truth is this issue of love. And this issue of love is key in our walk with God in sincerity and truth. It's key. Uh, without it, it's what it's telling me, without it, you're not going to mature. You're not going to mature. So we need it. Amen? Okay, I'm going to stop there. Any comments or questions?